0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, Today, we're continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called Upside Down. And this really is just a comparison of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world uh and, and what God is inviting us into and calling us to in John chapter 18 Jesus said my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom he said the kingdoms you know don't look like my kingdom so so just divorce yourself of what you think you know cuz the kingdom of heaven looks differently when you compare the principles of God uh and his way of doing things the principles of this world everything seems backwards everything seems upside down that's why up is down and left is right wrong is right that's why uh, in Scripture, gaining is losing, losing is gaining, and last is first, and, and dying ultimately means life. And that's what we're looking at today, is the idea that to live, you must die. And Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Paul actually says to the Romans in Romans 12:2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what God wants to do is change how we think, change how we value, change how we love, um, and think the way he does, because that's what he desires for us. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 is where we'll start today. In verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So let me start with the last verse and work our way backwards. In verse 26, he asks the question, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What do you benefit? Now, in the culture of this world, we would say it's a win. If you gain the whole world, that's a win, right? Right? If you are rich and you are powerful and you have the nice house and the nice car and, and your business is success, all that kind of stuff, that's the win. But what Jesus says is, what if you win according to this world but you lose your soul? And he says, that's a loss. So in the kingdom of heaven, having everything but losing your soul is a loss. And he's trying to help them understand the economy of heaven, the economy of, of his Uh, kingdom and what it looks like and how they function. So he says, you got to think about this in an upside down way. And too many of us focus on the wrong things. We focus on things that are temporary instead of the things that are eternal. And Christ is trying to help us focus on the right things. And the verse right before that said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And when we think of the word life, we think of this breathing in and out in a heartbeat and that's life. And And Christ is not asking us to die physically today. He may be at some point, but, um, when we look at the word life here, it's the Greek word suke, and it's most commonly translated as soul. And what it's talking about is the part of our life that, um, is dominated by our feelings and our emotions and our comfort and the things we experience in this world. That is what it's talking about in this, in this context. And so what Jesus is saying is if you try to hang on to all those things, you're ultimately going to lose it because all those things are temporary. All those things are going to come to an end at some point. So what he says is if you try to hang on to that, if that's what you value, if that's what you um, have the, the highest affection for, which unfortunately in the world we live in so many people do. He said you're going to lose it. You're going to be disappointed. But if you lay those things down for the kingdom of God, you're going to find real life. And so many of us are driven by our feelings and our emotions and our comfort and our pleasure and what we want. And we are unwilling to lay those things down. And as a result, we never find true life. So let me move to the verse right before it. It says this. Jesus says, if any of you want to be my follower, you'll come to church on Easter weekend. Sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give you guys a hard time. You came to church on Easter weekend. Uh, it doesn't say, if you want to be my follower, you're going to put something in the offering box. If you want to be my follower, you'll watch online sometimes. That's not what it says, but that's the standard we have for being a follower of Jesus. What he says is, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's a hard one, isn't it? Can we be honest? We are selfish by nature. We want what we want. And, and I want you to know this. I'm the pastor of this church. Some people think I'm paid to be a Christian, like I'm a professional Christian. Um, I'm the pastor of the church, and I still want stuff my way because I'm a human being, and I can be selfish, and I want it my way. And our culture has taught us you should have it your way. You, you can have it however you want it. It's your life. What drives me crazy is hearing people say, well, that's your truth. It's like, no, there is a truth. There aren't multiple versions of truth, right? But that's the culture we live in that says you can have it your way and whatever you want. And, and what Jesus says is if you're gonna be my follower, you have to lay down what you want. You have to lay down your own way. You have to lay down your selfishness, lay down your preferences. You have to set that aside to be a follower of Jesus. That That is, that's a tall order because we all want it our own way. That's one of the reasons we see issues in marriages. Sometimes there's infidelity and sometimes there's big things. But a lot of times it's just stuff, people sitting in my office and they go, well, I am i don't like it because she does this and I don't like it because he does that. And it's like, well, stop doing that stuff, right? Like, what are they saying? It's what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 where he said, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And husbands, love your wives sacrificially. What he's saying is, is good for both of them. They both have to submit and they both have to love sacrificially. But what he's saying is if you wanna have a healthy marriage, if you wanna have life in your marriage, you have to die in your marriage. You have to be willing to lay yourself down, lay your desires down, lay your selfishness down. That's where you find life. And this is what Christ is talking about here. He says you have to give up your own way. Stop believing that it's all about you and what you want. But he doesn't stop there. The next part, he says, "Take up your cross." In the book of Luke, it says, "Take up your cross daily." Have you ever talked to somebody, or maybe you were one of these people who um, who you're, you're complaining about something a little bit, and maybe it's your boss. Your boss is kind of a jerk, and you're describing a situation at work, uh, and you describe it. You go, but it's just the cross I have to bear. It's like, really, <laughs> your your jerk boss is the cross you have to bear. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe maybe you're, you're talking to a friend and you've got an issue in your marriage and you go, but you know what? It's the cross I have to bear. You're not getting along with your spouse and you think that's the cross you have to bear? And we think it's like this and that is not the way it is because what Jesus is talking about here is not a metaphoric cross that, that just has to do with your discomfort. He's, he's talking about a literal cross. He's foreshadowing to what's going to happen when he's crucified. His followers don't know it yet that he knows what's going to happen. And he says, you have to take up your cross daily. And what he's saying is, uh, it's not that you have to be uncomfortable with your boss, that you have to endure some discomfort. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you have to be willing to die for the cause of Christ every single day. And for many of us, we would rather die physically than let go of some of our desires are our wants or our selfishness. Uh, selfishness. We would prefer that, actually. But, but what he's saying is, no, no, no. Every day take up your cross. And, and you hold on to your comfort. Hold on to your pleasure. Hold on to the things you want, your preferences. Hold on to those things loosely. So that at any moment, if if God goes, nope, I want that, we're not going to fight him over it. We're not going to go, no, I got it in my kung fu grip and you're never getting away from me, Jesus, right? But that's what we do. God, you can have my whole life, but just not my full obedience. And just not my finances, and just not my marriage, just not my... And what he wants is for us to be fully surrendered, for us to take up our cross, for us to die to ourselves every single day and say, Jesus, whatever it is you want from me, you've got it. If I need to lay down my life for you, I'll do that. If I need to lay down my, my desires for you, I'll do that. If I need to lay down my plans for you, I'll do that. If I need to lay down my future for you, I'll do that. But that feels dangerous, doesn't it? Take up your cross daily. Then he says, follow me. Follow me. This one seems like an easy one, right? Follow me. We all know how to follow. We've been doing it since we were kids. I I live uh, in town in Indiana, and across the street uh, from my house is Seeds of Faith. Uh, It's a Christian school. And I don't know if you know this, there are some rough kids in that school. Did you know that? I've got to tell you something. Apparently they're very dangerous, especially the little ones, because I've seen them come out of their building before and they've got them lined up and they're tethered together like a chain gang of some kind, like these little militant criminals. I don't know what they did, but they've got them all strung together like they're going on a work crew somewhere. They're cleaning up trash on the side of the road. I don't know what they're doing. But apparently they're dangerous criminals that they have to be tied together as they walk. No, what they're doing is they just keep them together, right? Because kids are going to wander off. So they tie them together and they walk in a line. That's what they're doing. We learn this as kids, right? How do you follow? Well, you just walk behind the person in front of you. You go where they go. And that's kind of a general idea of what Christ wants for us in this, this word follow. Um, but it's, it's much, more complex than that. It is not simply, hey, do you have Jesus in eyesight? Yeah, I think I can follow him from here. I got him. The, the word for follow in the Greek is akulatheo. And akulotheo, uh has this, this richer meaning than just follow. It says, to follow one who proceeds. So obviously, somebody goes before you, you do go where they go. You follow them. Join him as an attendant. So now, we're not just following Christ, but we're saying, what can I do for you as I follow you? How can I serve you? and accompany him. We are walking with him. Now, a cool thing about this word, "kulatheo" is a compound word of these two words, union and road. So what it means is there were two roads, but now there's one road. So I want you to understand this. When we come to Christ, we are on a road, and Christ is on a road, and we don't say, hey, Jesus, come do what I'm doing. Join me on my road. You know what happens? Our road vanishes, and we join Jesus on his road. But what we've done in our culture is we've gone, hey, Jesus, you come do what I'm doing. And that is not how Jesus works. So what happens is our road vanishes. We join Jesus on his road, and we go where he goes, and we do what he does. We don't have him in eyesight. We are with him on the way. That means when he experiences suffering, we experience suffering. That means when he experiences death, we experience death. But what we'll see in a second, and this is a good part, when he experiences resurrection in life, we experience resurrection in life. So how do we find life? It's by laying down our life, by dying, by taking up our cross, by following him. That's how we experience life. It seems counterintuitive to say we experience life by dying. G.K. Chesterton is an incredible writer. Uh, If you like C.S. Lewis, you will like G.K. Chesterton. Um, I have to read Chesterton over and over sometimes to understand what he's actually saying, because he can be pretty deep and the language is, is a little cumbersome at times. But listen to what he says. He's talking about courage, and he's explaining courage in, in one of his books. And this is what he says. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he's to cut himself out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. So if he's going to break through an enemy line, he's got to understand I'm risking my life, but the only way I'm really going to live is by risking my life. Because if I sit here, I'm going to die. And he goes on to say this, he must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. I love this so much. I've prayed this prayer a lot. God, help me to seek my life with a spirit of furious indifference to it. God, help me live a life that is, that is for your glory, that I hold things loosely in my hand. I hold uh, my, my possessions and my wealth. I hold my talent, my abilities. I hold uh, my comfort and my pleasure all loosely so you can take it at any time. Cause God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek my life in a spirit of furious indifference. I'm gonna live to the fullest. I'm gonna live full throttle. And if, if, if you ask me for something, I'm giving it to you because it's yours. So if I have to lay down my life for the glory of God, great. If that's what's required, great. Because I'm seeking my life with a spirit of furious indifference to it. So Romans uh, chapter 6, we're going to spend a lot of the rest of our time in Romans chapter 6 today. We're going to start in verse 6, and it says this. Paul's writing to the Romans. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So it goes back to this idea of dying, that we have to allow the holy spirit to kill and crucify and destroy our sinful nature that it is it has to die in order for us to live and that's really what this whole series has been about over the last few weeks so week one we, we talked about this idea to be strong you must be weak and in that weekend we're talking about killing our pride do i have to look like the strongest do i have to look like i have all the answers or am i okay if people think i'm weak Paul actually said, hey, um, I'm going to boast in my weakness because in my weakness, that's where Christ's strength is most visible. So I'm going to boast about how weak I am instead of how strong I am because that is the upside down kingdom of God. So that kills our pride when we do that. Uh, Week two, we said to lead, you must serve. And this is about killing our preferences like I said earlier, we all want our own way. Um, we all are putting Blairsville this weekend and, and in Blairsville, I got to be honest with you, there were some things that I wanted to happen that didn't happen exactly like I wanted. And I'm the boss. And, and the trade-off is I could micromanage that and my whole team would quit, right? So the win is I go, okay, hey, you know what? I'm not going to have it exactly the way I want it, but it's going to ultimately produce life. And, and part of that is like, Ugh, uh, right? Cause, I can be a control freak at times. I want it my way. But what happens? Well, it kills our preferences. It allows us to see it. it doesn't have to be my way. Last week, we said to receive, you must give. And what this does is kill our greed because we want more. Well, how, how much do I need to be happy? More, right? Just a little more is all I need. We, we need a little more house, a little nicer car, a little more money in our account. More. And ultimately, Generosity kills greed in our lives, and then this week to live you must die we're talking about the whole enchilada to kill our flesh, sinful nature that's what this is about. So we're living in an upside down kingdom it's about laying ourselves down. Uh, Tim Keller he's a pastor and an author and He said this recently. He said the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. Do you know what they did? They flipped it upside down. Because the pagans they were literally pagans said no I want and I want and I want and I'm going to consume and I'm going to keep and I'm going to I'm going to find as much pleasure as I can in the moment in my body and then christians came along and said no no, no I'm going to live according to a different set of standards and principles this upside down kingdom and and they made a difference in their culture Because they understood this principle. Because they were willing to crucify their flesh. They were willing to say, no, 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 I'm not going to satisfy every desire I have in my flesh. I don't need to do that because I'm living for a different kingdom. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. We'll continue in the book of Romans. It says this, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. So in Scripture, we hear about the second death at times. And what we see here is, is Jesus experienced the first death. Uh, this is the death of our flesh. And, and he did that, and he came to life again. He was raised by the power of the Spirit so that we don't have to experience the second death. The first death is the death of our physical body. The second death is hell. We don't have to experience that because of what Christ did. He did the work. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave once and for all, for all time, for all mankind. A lot of times at Easter, what we end up doing is we end up spending a lot of time talking about the crucifixion, but very little time talking about the resurrection. And the the crucifixion was the most horrendous, heinous, um, shocking way a human being could be killed. And uh, it was humiliating. It was actually intended for maximum humiliation. That was part of the punishment. So we see these pictures of Jesus and sometimes he's got a robe or he's got a sash or sometimes he has a loincloth on the cross. But Jesus was hung on the cross naked, beaten, battered. He was, he was beaten so badly he was unrecognizable by people who knew him. He experienced that. He, he died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then Sunday morning came. It says In Luke chapter 24 verse 1, it says, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The angels of the Lord showed up. The women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? he isn't here he's risen from the dead remember what he told you back in Galilee that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day (laughs) and then the women are like oh yeah that's right he did say that didn't he good excellent thanks for the reminder so they they go back to the house where the the rest of the disciples are and they show up and they go guys you're never going to believe this the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. The angels told us, here's what happened. And listen to their response. Luke 24, 11, it says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Typical. The men were like, you ladies are hysterical. You looked in the wrong tomb. Something's wrong. We know this can't be the truth. They didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. And he ran to the tomb look it, to look. He stooped down, peered in, and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. The tomb is empty. What we see next is uh, two of the extended group of followers of Jesus were on their way from Jerusalem to, um, to uh, the road to uh, Emmaus, that's what I was looking for. So they're on their way to Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're they're walking along, and they pick up a straggler. It's this guy. They don't recognize him, but it's Jesus. And so they start talking. What's going on, fellas? They said, man, can you believe what's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on in Jerusalem? And they said, you're the only one who doesn't know what's happening in Jerusalem. Jesus, the prophet, he's been killed. He was tried. He was actually tried six times over the course of Friday night. He was tried, he was crucified, and he died. They buried him. We thought he was, we thought he was the the Messiah, but I don't know. It's kind of ironic, right? Um, (laughs) I can imagine Jesus being like, hello, (laughs) right? Uh, fellas? And it's funny because he actually rebukes them because he said, don't you know what scripture says about the Messiah? Jesus is nicer than I am, I mean, I'm meaner than I am, because um, there's been a few times I've talked to people in, in public places, and I'll just be, you know, stranger, and we'll strike up a conversation, and somehow church will come up, and I never, ever, ever, ever lead with, hi, I'm Mel, I'm the pastor of Summit Church, never, like, come on, I don't do that, so I'm just Mel, and anyway, so I'll, I'll be talking to somebody, and this has happened multiple times, somebody will go, um, oh yeah, I go to church, oh, where do you go to church? I go to Summit. Really? Yeah. Which service do you go to? Well, when we go, we go to the nine o'clock. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I go, I go to summit too. They go, you do? (laughs) Yes, I do. I go every week. They don't even know who I am. It's like, I don't know if you actually do go or not. That's okay. Jesus is standing here with these people I have no idea who he is. So he gets, they get to their destination. He's talking to them. And then finally, his, their, their eyes open to who he is. And there's a realization. And he vanishes. He's gone. He's translated. So they go back to Jerusalem. And they get there. And they go, like, guys, i got to tell you, we saw Jesus. We walked with him. It was incredible. And while they're having this conversation, Jesus shows up in the room. He doesn't knock on the door. He literally shows up in the room. He materializes in the room. And then listen to what he says. Listen to the audacity of Jesus in Luke 24, verse 38. He says this, why are you frightened? Because you just showed up in my living room, Jesus, right? You didn't even knock on the door. I don't know what it looked like. I can imagine like, I'm sure he didn't do this. He was far too humble to do this. But I can imagine, like, all of a sudden, like, skadoosh, and, like, there's smoke, and Jesus goes, ta-da! Like, you know, something like that. That wouldn't probably be the way he did it, but I can imagine. And then he says, why are you so frightened? Why are you scared? It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> but then he asks the next question, and it's clear that the first question is not just about this moment. The next question he asks is, why are your hearts Filled with doubt. Why are you afraid? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Remember what we said earlier? The ladies came back and the guys didn't believe them. (laughs) All right, calm down. Now, they're filled with doubt. He goes on to say, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. He's showing them the evidence. Listen to verse 41. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, this is why I know that Jesus was my man. Do you have anything to eat? (laughs) Every day I'm becoming more and more like Christ. (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. They stood there in disbelief. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? We see this several times in this story. And I want to point this out, but I think this is important. Th- these men were men who knew Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had experienced the public and the private with Jesus for three years. And yet in this moment, they were filled with disbelief and doubt. And I don't know about you, I grew up in a way that I believed it was either faith or faithlessness. There was no in-between, Right? That that we either have faith or we have doubt. We either have faith or we have disbelief. But what we see here is the, these are people who love Jesus, who knew him intimately, knew him closely. So how did they get here? And let me tell you how they got here. Friday happened. See, they had an idea of what their life would look like, how it would unfold, how it would go. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans, become king, and then they would serve with him. And then Friday happened. And Jesus was crucified. And it wrecked all their plans. It messed up their, their vision of the future. And it caused them to doubt and have disbelief. The same thing happens for us. Life is going along, moving exactly like we plan, and then out of nowhere, tragedy comes up. A loss of a loved one. We lose a job. We, there's a betrayal in our life of some sort. We find out from our spouse that maybe our marriage isn't as healthy as we thought it was. And all of a sudden, our lives look differently than we expected them to. And in that moment, that's our Friday. Doubt, disbelief begin to come into our heart. Well, maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was. Jesus was going to be king, but now he's he's dead now, so maybe... And we do the same thing. Maybe Jesus is not as good as I thought he was. Maybe he's not as powerful as I thought he was. And this is where these people were. They were in disbelief and doubt. But I want to point this out. It said they stood there in disbelief. But listen, filled with joy and wonder. I think there's a place for us to have disbelief and doubt at times in our hearts and still be filled with joy and wonder and go, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like, and Jesus isn't working the way I thought he would, but, but I see something that's giving me a little bit of hope, that, that's kindling some joy and wonder in me right now. I don't believe faith is the absence of doubts and fears. I think faith is doubting our doubts and disbelieving our disbelief. Faith is being willing to say, well, I have some doubts, but I also don't have all the answers. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I know God does. So I'm going to trust him, even though I've got some questions about how is this going to unfold? What is this going to look like? God, I'm still going to trust you. That's what God is inviting us into. That's the place we can get to if we will simply lay down our lives and say, God, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have uh, the whole plan figured out. Because if I've got you, I've got everything I need. Romans 6, 8 says this. And since we died with Christ, we know We will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. For the record, I read that a second time intentionally because I wanted you to hear that again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break down, break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul says to the Galatian church, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. And this is important because Paul's old self was not a good guy. Paul's old self was someone who literally hunted Christians down and killed them. He was not accepted by the New Testament church initially because they feared him, which they should have. So he had a hard time breaking in and building relationship. But he's letting people know the old me is gone. The old me has been put to death, has been crucified. That's not who I am any longer. And not only am I not alive, it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. By trusting in the Son of God. We trust in God in spite of our doubts, in spite of our disbeliefs. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about politics and uh, the things going on in the world we live in. And um, and you don't have to worry. I'm not going to dive into anything right now. But one of the things that he said that I pushed back on a little bit. He said, there is something deep inside all human beings that we long for and we want freedom. And I said, I think you're right. I think people do want freedom, but I don't think that's the preeminent desire for most people. I think most people would rather be taken care of than have freedom. And the reason I think that is because the world we live in today, there are a lot of people who give up freedoms. They trade a freedom in order to be taken care of whether it's a boss or a parent or a spouse or a government or whoever it is, they will willingly make that trade because we want someone to take care of us, to help us, to cover us. We wanna know that we're protected. And this is what I love about this passage right here. It says, talking about Jesus, he loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus didn't just love you and I, he gave himself for you and I. He loved you enough to say, not only do I love you, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of everything that you owe. The debt of sin you could never pay. I've got that for you. If you found out that somebody had paid off your house, if you found out that somebody had paid off your school debt, you'd be pretty excited, right? Because they took care of you. They did something for you. And that's what Christ has done for us. He's paid a debt we could never pay. He covered us. He took care of us. That's what Christ has done. And and we don't have our flesh put to death to earn that. We do that as a response to that. Because he gave himself for us. He loved us. So how do we... Reconcile this. And I think we struggle with this because it comes back to what we talked about earlier in Luke twenty four, when the, the lady showed up to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there, and the angel of the Lord says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He was saying, You're looking for you you think you're looking for a dead guy, but but he's not dead, he's alive. So it's a little bit of a play on words. But I would say the same thing today. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because so many of us are looking for life in places that only produce death. We're looking for life in achievement. We're looking for life in our work. We're looking for life in accumulating possessions, in getting wealth. We look for life in the achievement of our children. We look for life in relationships. We look for life in all these things. But ultimately, those things are temporary and they can only produce death. There's one place and one place alone we can find true life, and that's in Jesus Christ. It's the only place. And the only way we can experience life in Christ is by dying. I want to turn it over to our host in Blairsville right now. They're going to close out the rest of this message and give you an opportunity to respond to it. But I want you guys to know I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have a great night. For those of you here in the room, those of you watching online, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Because at the end of the day, I think there are people who consider themselves followers of Jesus, but the truth is they're religious. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you've been to church a thousand times, but what we talked about earlier, give up your own way, take up the cross and follow me. Reality is you've never really done that before. You've never really had an experience with God where where you recognize that I'm giving up my own way for whatever God wants. I'm taking up my cross. I'm willing to die daily for the cause of Christ, if that's what he asks. And I'm going to follow Jesus no matter where the path leads. If you recognize that's the case for you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ today. He is alive and he is well. And he is Lord of lords and King of kings. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes all this place. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you that, God, you're working in hearts. You're working in lives. And I pray right now, you'd speak into us. Lord, I pray that you would help us if we've been looking for life in places where only death is resident. God, I pray that you would help us fix our eyes on the right things. Lord, I pray for those that maybe are religious, but ultimately today they, they recognize they're not really following you. Let today be the watershed, the turning point for them that changes everything. So God, have your way with us. Speak life into us in these moments. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. And I, I, I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna surrender my life to his lordship, to his kingship. I, I'm, I'm ready to die so that he can live in me. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you are. So if, if you're here and you'd say, Mel, pray for me, I wanna I want to have life in Christ. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If You'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, today's my day. Thank you. On my left, I see you, sir. Thank you. On my right, I see a couple hands. Praise God. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see you in the balcony. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. Yeah, thank you. The book of Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want to say a prayer with you, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I don't want you to just say it mindlessly. I don't want you to just repeat words. I want you to, to mean it from, from your soul, from the core of who you are, from your heart. So I want you to say this prayer with conviction with me. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, I turn away from my old life And I'm chasing after you. Use me for your glory. And help me find life in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today, can we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, Uh, I want you to know Scripture says you're a new creation today, and we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you prayed that prayer with us and you meant it, there's a couple things you can do. The first is this. Grab the card out of the seat back in front of you. Um, You can take it to our information center. Fill it out. They're going to give you a Bible, and they're going to give you some resources to take another step in your faith journey to begin to grow in your faith. Uh, The other thing you can do if you prefer or if you're watching online, you can simply text uh, Summit PA to the number nine four zero zero zero. When you do that we're going to respond back to you. We're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, we're going to get you some resources in the mail and, uh, and help you help you grow. That's what we're here to do. So thank you so much for responding today. Here's what's going to happen right now. I'm going to pray a final prayer blessing over you before we're dismissed. And while I'm doing that, some of our prayer team and some of our pastors are going to join me here at the front of the room. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, as we're dismissed today, just make your way forward. Let us pray with you before you go. Um, so let me, let me just pray over you while our team joins me up here. Lord, thanks so much for what you've done in this place. I pray for those who said yes to you. Lord, I pray that from this day forward, their lives would be made different. God, I pray that they would experience your Holy Spirit, your closeness like never before. Lord, I pray that, that, that the people in this place that struggle with disbelief and doubt at times, would doubt their doubts, Lord, that we would walk out of here full of confidence knowing that you are good and that we can trust you, that you are a God who takes care of his people. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and I pray you be glorified through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.